Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, y'all, it's Katie. I'm bringing one final episode with a guest co-host before we welcome Ashley back from her maternity leave, and we'll be resuming our soul sister conversations together later this month. In honor of her return, I want to invite you to become one of our supporters on our Patreon site. As we've talked about before, Patreon is a way for listeners of Kindreds to support our ongoing work with a contribution every month. You can find out more about becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash kindreds. I would also invite you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to show your support of the show and help new listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support. Today, I'm speaking with Asha Daya, a journalist, a filmmaker, and the content creator and editor-in-chief of Girl Talk HQ, a daily women's news media site with a mission to inspire and empower women, which we all love here at Kindreds. Um, It also centers on positive news for women with a focus on the representation of women in the media. Asha is also in the middle of creating a new documentary series called Life at All Costs, which aims to challenge and change our public conversations around reproductive health and rights, pushing us beyond the problematic labels of pro-life and pro-choice in order to help us find common ground. Asha, welcome to Kindreds. Thank you so much for having me. We are so glad to have you. I am really thankful that somehow we got connected on Twitter and now get to talk one-on-one. It's always nice to connect with the people that you kind of know online and have a real conversation. Yeah. There is some good in Twitter after all. So yeah, I, oh, there, I love it connecting definitely with is. you. And there, there is a really good community of you know, people in the faith community that I've connected with and have started following. So yeah, it's really great to read your tweets. Great. Well, I'm really appreciative of this time and want to dive in and ask you about this documentary series that you're in the middle of creating. I'm not exactly sure where you are in the process, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, but also what inspired you to create Life at All Costs and what are you hoping to achieve with it once it's out? Yeah, great question. So I'll start with how the idea came about. Um, my, which I'll probably go into later, and I'm sure you're going to ask me a bit about my background, but my coming from a very conservative Christian evangelical world and now being away from that, kind of thinking the opposite in terms of, you know, socially and politically, I've seen the abortion and reproductive rights issue from both sides. Um, and over the last few years, through my own journey, politically, socially, and, you know, in, on my faith journey, the issue of abortion has kind of really jumped out at me. I haven't personally had an abortion, but I've been surrounded by many women who have, um, especially within a church setting. And so I have kind of been ruminating on, you know, I wanted to do something with my media voice and experience, and I wasn't sure which topic to kind of land on. But then in 2015, those um, edited videos reportedly showing, you know, Planned Parenthood personnel um, discussing the sale of baby hu- parts by an organization who I will not name because they have been found to be fraudulent um, in a court of law. When those videos came out, there was like a hyper intense discussion online and on the interwebs about uh, Planned Parenthood specifically, but about abortion again. And it led to just a wave of even more anti-abortion bills across the country. 
and it just made me really angry and I can't really explain why all I can say is that it was maybe divine intervention or you know something leading me toward using my voice for this issue and then after you know those conversations died down I was like that's that's what I'm going to do that's my issue that's what I'm going to talk about having been in a unique position of being on both sides of the fence and so over the last couple of years within my women in film community here in Los Angeles I've really been able to kind of tap into a whole bunch of resources be inspired by different filmmakers and really draw on my own experience in these faith communities you know with the dialogues around reproductive rights and abortion and um, some of the topics that I'm touching on with this series really comes from you know, a lack of discussion about them, especially in church circles. And so the the full title, it's kind of expanded a little bit, is now Life at All Costs, Going Beyond Pro-Choice Versus Pro-Life. And so where I'm at in the process is I'm currently working on the pilot. I have hired my first producer. I just finished a crowdfunding campaign and we are doing research on the pilot episode, which is going to be centered around maternal mortality Mm-hmm. Um, and then we are going to be filming more interviews uh, over the next few months and into the fall. And my eventual plan is to partner with a production company, sell it to a network, and make just a really engaging, compelling series that can, I mean, I hesitate to use the word educate, but I really want to inform people in a way beyond what our existing notions of abortion and reproductive rights is. And just really kind of challenge us to go further with our advocacy, with our passion, with our energy. And I would love to take the series on a speaking tour to schools, community centers, churches, other organizations, and use it as a tool for change, um, you know, challenging cultural attitudes and possibly eventually legislation. So in a nutshell, that's kind of how it came about and where I'm at and where I hope to go with it. We're so glad that you're working in this way. I think there's such a need for the kind of work that you're describing and showing the nuances to what are really complex issues of life and death for women and for families. And you said, so the pilot will focus on on maternal mortality or maternal and infant mortality? Just maternal mortality, but there will be information about infant mortality because the more I research just the topic of maternal mortality, it's so complex and there are so many different threads to it that need to be kind of extrapolated and talked about. And there, it just really bums me out that there's such minimal awareness of this huge problem in America. And it shouldn't be a problem in America. We spend more on healthcare than any other country in the world. And yet there's such huge disparities, often race-based and class-based. So that's something that we're going to address in this, and like you said, with complexities, all the other topics that we're touching on, which include foster care, birth control, sex education, pregnant incarcerated women, th- the issue of reproductive rights is so much more than abortion. It's so complex, so nuanced, and it almost feels so disingenuous to only look at abortion straight on without looking at these surrounding issues and understanding how they play a fundamental role in someone's decision to get an abortion or not. So I think, you know, I feel very compelled that this is something that needs to be talked about. I I think so too. And I would also hope that 
possibly something that would come from it. And I think there is a public conversation about this specifically. But to really show that folks who are opposed to um, efforts to increase access to health care or, um, you know, to nutrition for young children or for families, really like really getting to the root of what the opposition to abortion is about um, mm. and really showing that, you know, in my view, after having worked in this space for at least 15 years, is that it's really about control um, and really about maintaining the status quo that's patriarchal, um, that's white, that's Christian. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not really about uh, ensuring that all people have what they need to have healthy pregnancies and healthy births and healthy families. Like, it's really not about the opposition is really not about that, in my estimation, from what I've seen. It's really about controlling, controlling women and their bodies and what they do with them and punishing them for sometimes not even decisions that they made, just their life circumstances. So I would hope that that's Mm. something that kind of comes to the surface too, is you're talking about all of the interconnected issues that surround, you know, the decisions we make about our lives throughout our lives. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's definitely something that I want to bring out in discussions once this series is released and and you know I've seen this we've all seen discussions about you know don't if you if you're a teen girl and you get pregnant don't have an abortion but then the minute that girl has that baby it's like oh shame on you for having sex it's like well you know what what is at the core of this issue and perhaps that's a whole other documentary that Mm -hmm. the root of where this inequality comes from and why there's such a double standard when it comes to men and women's bodies um, because obviously in, you know, a church, patriarchal church setting, you know, gender is binary. So there's, you know, it's men and women only and, you know, there has to be a hierarchy and, you know, sex isn't something to be enjoyed or sought after for women. It's just almost like a commodity. And so, yeah, there's so many other threads and tangents we could talk about with sexuality, but that is definitely the root, one of the root causes of, you know, why we have such divisive and, just almost, I don't want to use the word useless, but like like a dead-end conversation, like just don't have an abortion, don't have an abortion. It's like, okay, well, abortion doesn't happen in a vacuum, so let's go back to the root and let's kind of extrapolate out where this decision came about and, and how we can better be be better allies to each other as a society, as a community, and, and especially to vulnerable uh, people in crisis pregnancy situations. Mm-hmm. And from everything that I've read and just from the experiences that I've had in talking with women who've had abortions so often, the reason is economic, you know, it's often about just their inability to, you know, pay for another. And a lot of times they already have children. So paying for an additional child and you and I are both mothers of young children. We know Mm. what those expenses are. I mean, just pregnancy, like prenatal care and, um, you know, paying for a delivery and then, gosh, any kind of help that you need before, during, and after, um, you know, we don't have a national paid leave policy. We don't have right. subsidies for, um, or really good, we don't have good subsidies for child care, you know, so it really is, we, we've set people up not to be able to, you know, have a pregnancy be cause for celebration, for joy. It becomes about fear and worry about how am I going to, how am I going to make this work? Um, and I think for a lot of women, you know, terminating a pregnancy is what 
kind of makes sense for them and for their lives. And that's well and good, but could we get to the point where economics might not be the driving factor about whether or not a woman would choose to terminate a pregnancy? That that would definitely be a goal that I hope that we could share um, for folks mm. who might have different views on abortion. You know, can we make it, um, you know, can we ma- ensure that families have the the financial security that they need to make decisions about their families? Yeah, I completely agree. Economics is, I mean, poverty is one of the issues I'm looking at. Paid leave is another issue I'm looking at. And when you see other developed countries in the Western world, like especially in Western Europe, which has the lowest abortion rates in the world, and their abortion laws aren't necessarily that dissimilar to um, those we find in other countries, including here in the U.S., but the difference is those laws are coupled with social, you know, very specific social safety net laws, which include affordable childcare, paid maternity and paternity leave, and um, you know other financial um, safety barriers that help the mothers, you know, afford just the basic needs for a child. And so I, th- I think to me, it's so clear that that is a huge solution and i you know it's not like it's not as if putting certain restrictions on abortion is altogether a bad thing and you know and i want to temper that by saying you know the majority of women in america at least who get abortions are, are in the early stage and up to 60% of them are already mothers so that's something that we need to look at as well and the the abortions which are a very small percent happening in later in the pregnancy in the second and third term uh, trimester are because of, you know, very um, serious medical problems uh, for either the mother or the child in utero. So, you know, that nuance is everything, and that's what we're not talking about. And it's so much easier for organizations or movements to kind of group all these women together and say, like, all these women who get abortions, they're all murderers, they're all baby killers. But once you start singling out the women and learning about this story, learning about their background – all of a sudden they become human and you can't deny someone's humanity once you once you come face to face with them that's what we need more of and that's why i think the more people speak up about their abortion experience although it feels to some you know especially in the anti-choice and pro-life movement like oh you're just boasting about abortion no that's not it at all that's it's raising awareness about the reality of this issue that happens to one in four women across America today. And so we really need to have those discussions more and more. And thankfully, we are seeing it, I think, you know, just with more and more data coming out and more and, you know, this wave of anti-choice bills has caused a backlash in the sense that more women are like, hang on a minute, this is not right. You don't get to, you know, control the private decisions I make about my life that you have no idea about. And so I think the more voices we have and showing how complex and varied and different it is, the the better it's going to be. Right. And if a goal might be for us to reduce the need for abortion, that's how I would frame it. Reduce the need. Absolutely. The the goal is the, the, the way to achieve that is not by creating restrictive legislation that makes it more yeah. difficult for poor women specifically to get yes. access to the services. And that's really what a lot of the laws that we're seeing is just about, you know, diminishing access. It's about making sure that women have to drive, you know, hundreds of miles to get to a provider or have to wait for three days. So they're losing out on income. They have to get childcare. Like it's all about making it 
more difficult for women who are already trying to, and and of course, insurance often doesn't cover it. We know Medicaid doesn't cover it. So women are having to, you know, scrape money together. And that's often one of the reasons women delay a termination is because they have to get the money together. And the ironic thing is the longer you wait to have an abortion, the more expensive it becomes. Exactly. And the idea that can't win. (laughs) It's like, oh, women are just using uh, abortion as birth control. A, no, they're not. Abortion is far more expensive than birth control and also fund birth control then. Because you're right, it is about not even just preventing abortion, but like preventing the need for it, but preventing the, uh, the unintended pregnancy rate in the first place. That's what it really is about because... You know, I hear these discussions, every pregnancy should be wanted. Yeah, I agree. So let's help prevent the unintended ones. And so people who are not ready to get pregnant, they have the tools and means to stay healthy and to make the the right decision to have a child when they want to. And those who do become pregnant have the tools that they need to raise a healthy child. And so we don't get to have it both ways. I know that there are some very extreme mindsets that say, we don't want to fund birth control. And that is the new battlefront in this whole anti-choice war, by the way. I mean, for Mm -hmm. a large part, legislatively, the anti-choice side has won. You know, over the last 30 years, they've put in place very strategic roadblocks, like you said, you know, waiting periods and, you know, protests outside clinics that intimidate and harass women. And so in a sense that that has been, they don't have to undo Roe versus Wade because they've been able to put all these other barriers in place. But now that that's kind of in place now it's birth control now it's medicaid access now it's the affordable care act now it's you know chip and all all these other programs that help children and families stay healthy and thrive and and you know live out that promise of a fruitful life and so it's it just it seems almost counterintuitive to say bring every baby to term and then don't ask for help and you, you know it's we shouldn't be like that as a society you know we should be open and willing to help each other and and you know like look at life well, like what does it mean to really challenge our own notions of what does it mean to value life and care for life I mean that's something anyone could really challenge themselves with and that's one of the things I want to do with this documentary and so yeah I think that there are so many more bigger discussions that we need to have beyond just the sound bites and the political statements and rhetoric we hear on in news media or even from the pulpit i mean i've heard so many from the pulpit that just Mm. do not do anyone service and you know these these pieces of legislation that prevent access to abortion they don't reduce your abortion rates at all all they do is strip women of the the right and dignity to make informed decisions you know we're seeing so many laws that it's essentially forced speech in certain states, they're forcing doctors to say things like abortion gives you breast cancer or you're more likely to be suicidal where peer-reviewed scientific research shows the exact opposite. But yet doctors are being forced to say that because there are fanatics in certain legislatures thinking that, oh, this is how we stop abortion. But it's not. You know, they want to do everything except get to the actual root of the issue. And it's not as if America doesn't have the money to fund um you know, child services and all these programs that help children stay healthy. So there are just so many contradictions that need to be addressed and, you know, talked about more in a nuanced way. Right. And these are really moral issues. So I want to 
to get into some of, of your faith background, because I know that you've already mentioned that you grew up in a conservative evangelical um, or had an upbringing that was conservative and evangelical, as did I. I grew up in the south of the United States, so I'm quite familiar with that, but would love to hear more about that experience and then where you are now and how that, how your faith now, if it does inform your work, this life at all costs, or just more broadly your work on reproductive rights and your activism. Yeah, definitely. So I did grow up in a um, evangelical home in Australia. So I'm originally from Australia and although Australia isn't very politically, religiously motivated the same way America is. Like it's very, politics and religion are very separate over there, which I'm really thankful for. However, all the cultural trappings of conservative evangelicalism reach far and wide across the globe. I grew up listening to DC Talk. I went to a (laughs) Billy Graham crusade. We knew all about James Dobson and focus on the family. I was made to read I Kissed Dating Goodbye, Joshua Harris's book. Oh gosh, we've talked about that on this show before. (laughs) It's so funny how that's now coming. All the, you know, especially millennial um, ex-evangelicals who grew up reading that and other people who grew up reading that and now talking about it like this book did so much damage. So we definitely got a lot of that growing up in Australia and the the purity culture rules and boundaries and all that kind of stuff I grew up with. And um, so I for me, it was just like always normal that, oh, yeah, you know, you're a Christian. And when you move out of home, the first thing you do, find a good church family and make sure you get plugged into a Bible study and stay mm-hmm. accountable. And when you find a husband, find a husband in the church and all that kind of stuff. And I've always, like, in the back of my mind, questioned a lot of those rules and laws and I want to say legalisms, but it just felt too overwhelming to try and dig into it, you know, in my early and mid-20s because, A, I was young and didn't really have the tools to question it in a way that was informed, and B, it was just like every church community I was part of, it was kind of the same. You know, some were more... I went to Hillsong for a while too. So some were uh, very cool and young and hip and others were a little bit more formal. But essentially underneath it all, the uh, environment was the same. So I felt like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess that that is it. This is right. You know, I just am lucky to believe in the the one religion that is a real religion with the one true god you know mm-hmm. like how did i get so lucky that i somehow found the right one and everyone <laughs> every other religious person is wrong i mean whoa how lucky am i right. and so when i moved to america in 2008 um i was still in that mindset and i went started going to um, a large church here in los angeles that that's where i first got my foray into the way, you know, conservative evangelicalism is very enmeshed with politics here, Republican politics. And um, I met my first husband there and we were very involved in the church, but it was a very toxic environment for me in a number of ways. And uh, and for a lot of other women that I knew there too. Um, and so I was there for about five years and I was leading Bible study, part of women's ministry events. Um, what else did I do? I, I sang solos at Christmas. I was on the worship team every Friday night. And I, I did a class called America's Christian Heritage, uh, created by an organization called the Wall Builders, which if you haven't heard of them, look them up. They are super dangerous and a little bit, ra- a little bit, very racist when it comes to America's history. They love to whitewash a lot of 
you know, like the Native American history and history of slavery. Of and um, so that was my first foray into like America because I just wanted to be this patriotic American. Now I'm just like, ooh, what was I thinking? And so once I left that church and I ended up leaving because I decided to get a divorce because my first marriage was becoming very abusive and toxic. And um, I had stepped away from all my ministry uh, responsibilities and then ended up moving to a different part of the city and so left the church. And it ended up being the best decision I made because I was able to be away from that bubble. And that's when I started to really question a lot of things. And my political views, my social views, my views on certain faith issues changed when I would learn stories about my former church friends, especially women who would, I, I still kept in touch with a few of them every now and then. And they would tell me things like, oh, I secretly had an abortion or I secretly had a few abortions. Mm. And I was like, wait, what? You're the person who protested outside the abortion clinic. Like, what are you doing? Or you're the person who went on all those mission trips and was always like so on fire for Jesus. What do you mean you had a one night stand and and got pregnant? Like, what? Um, And I don't say that in a judgmental way. It was just so shocking to me that, oh, hang on a minute. Okay, there's something else here underneath the surface that needs to be investigated and so for the first time I realized okay now it's time to question now it's time to ask those really soul-searching questions about what what does it mean to believe in God or a God what does it mean to have faith what does it mean to be associated with the label Christian or evangelical quote-unquote and so that kind of has been my journey over the past five years and then Come November eighth, twenty sixteen, we all know what happened on that day. I think that I think that really cemented a lot of my leanings in terms of do I leave the church and kind of go on my own spiritual wandering, desert wandering um, season, as we say, you know, the the Christian lingo, and or do I just kind of continue going through the motions? And you know, when Donald Trump got elected, I was like, no, I'm done, and. The, mm. And specifically, not just him getting elected, but learning that 81% of white evangelicals voted for him. And the church that I was going to at the time, which was a small church, it was a vineyard church, really great people and, you know, really great heart of leadership there. But they're still conservative in a lot of ways. There was just no challenging from the pulpit about, you know, his racist statements and just the rhetoric that was being stirred up in America. And I understand that some churches are like, we don't want to be political. I'm like, now's not the time to sit this one out. People are hurting. People's lives are at stake. I mean, the words that this guy is saying at his rallies around the country, now he's at, in the most powerful seat of state leadership in the world. You think that's not going to have effect in the country? Like, it is time for churches to stand up. And they just weren't, well, the, at least the churches that I was going to. So I left that church and I would started visiting a few Episcopalian churches and churches that were very socially active and really standing up to the anti-Muslim, anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. And I was like, this is amazing. And I, I just really loved it. Mm-hmm. But then I um, I got pregnant and then I had a baby. And so that kind of, you know, influenced my decision to kind of stay home for a little bit. And so I would say right now I'm in a place where I call myself a person of faith. I believe in God I don't have a specific set of rules and laws as to what that looks like for every single issue. I'm still figuring it out. But I like where I'm at in this, you know, wandering state of mind more so than I've ever been. 
in my spiritual journey and I feel more secure not knowing all the questions and answers than I ever have knowing all, you know, all those Bible verses that I could just pull out of the drop of a hat and whenever, you know, those things that were taught as evangelicals, like always have an answer, prepare, have an answer prepared for every question that comes your way. And I was that person. And now I'm like, why am I just pulling out a Bible verse just because I was told to do that? Like, do I actually think this or do I want to have a human conversation with the person in front of me? And, or am I okay with not knowing the answers? And so that's kind of where I'm at. I don't go to a, a church regularly right now. I'm okay with that. I think there are a lot of people in my position where we're trying to figure out our own fit or instead of trying to figure out where we fit, do we want to create a new community and what does that look like and how do we live out our um, faith convictions and statements and ambitions and so it's um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting place to be in but I'm, I'm excited to see where it leads. Thank you for sharing all of that. I mean there, there's so many parts that I want to ask you more about maybe another time too because we could probably dive in along all of those (laughs) those parts I mean there's a lot of loss involved with what happened with you and there's yes um, trauma a lot of a lot of trauma and just echoes so much of what we're hearing in the in the me too and church Too movements about faith communities Mm -hmm. not being that safe place when you're experiencing abuse or sometimes abuse comes from within the church leadership or, you know, with a church member and, um, and pastors are not telling those, uh, survivor victims, you know, to leave or helping them get out of the situation. So, um, I'm so sorry that you went through all of that. Thank you. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of those conversations too right now. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I've been there and it's, it's interesting seeing all the people who've been victims like, yeah, me too. Church too. That's that's happened to me. That's like that's not the anomaly. That's the norm. And so mm-hmm. it's good that these conversations are happening. Yeah. Um, so one of the episodes we did, I can't remember the number, but we spoke with um, a good colleague, Ashley Easter, who works on uh, ending abuse in faith communities. So um, I'll link to that in the show notes for folks if you haven't listened to that one. Um, it's a really great interview about like what faith communities can do to become places where people are actually safe and don't just call themselves safe. Um, But the other part about where you are in terms of the wandering, um, the last episode that we did with Reverend Dr. Carrie Jackson was all about how to find community when the institution doesn't really line up with what you're hoping for, longing for, and, and how can you create it. So I'll be sure to link to both of those in the show notes for folks in case you want to listen to them. Um, you know, there's something so when you're describing about kind of where you where you came from and where you are, you know, I had a similar breaking away much earlier in life from the evangelical faith. And it's just reminds me of how fragile that institution is and how easily it is easy it is to break it because it doesn't bend to holding doubt or mm, tough questions. Yep. And so you know, and and then I feel like there's so much fear about asking the questions that if, if yes. we say, oh, well, this thing didn't happen in the Bible, then the whole thing, you know, the whole thing is wrong. Like that sort of yeah. uh, winners and losers division of either you're in or out. And there's yeah. just no way that that institution can hold folks, which I think is why it grows and holds so many people because people don't want to lose their community, their sense of belonging, they you know, their sense of knowing that like you said before, I have the right viewpoint on religion. How mm-hmm. lucky am I to have discovered the capital T truth? 
They don't want to <laughs> lose. That's a big loss to let go of that. Yeah, it is. And one thing I will say about the, the loss aspect that I found, and I think for people like us who are very tapped into social media and this online community, it, I think that tempers the loss somewhat because mm-hmm. we're able to find other like-minded individuals whereas for older people who you know as we got older we we do get more set in our ways and I see it even with my parents the thought of that safety net all of a sudden changing their world view it's like there's no way that could happen and so it is such a sense of loss but then it's a loss of the old and finding something new for you know the younger generations you know through whether it's through social media or different meetups or creating new community and so that that's one you know there's there's a good and a bad to this this loss but it, their church is also seeing a decline in especially youth and millennial populations because of they're more we are more willing to question and and you know not just accept everything as truth without really fundamentally finding the foundation of what that belief is and so I I, I really like that yeah that's a conversation that we're often having at the church that I'm a part of, which is a progressive Baptist church, part of the Alliance of Baptists. And and one of the jokes that the pastors talk about there is when when you remove the fear based theology, uh, that you know, in order to be part of this community, you have to show up all of the time and you have to do this or that thing. When you remove that, people don't necessarily feel the pressure to come all of the time or show up in the same mm. way. And so it that impacts membership and participation too, when you don't have um, fear as the motivator. So it's it's kind of a, a funny thing to think about, yes. you know, like maybe it's just that people are organizing and, and supporting each other in community in different ways that don't always look like that Sunday morning worship service, you know, and, um, and and being open to what the new possibilities might be. I think I'm not someone who pastors a church, so I'm not thinking about my livelihood with that. But Mm -hmm. I think it's really exciting to see how, um, you know, different social media platforms and different ways to connect are creating new community. I mean, I think just connecting with you, like we probably never would have known about one another unless we'd gone to a conference together or something like that. We're on different coasts, but because of Twitter, because of our, um, you know, shared social values, we connected with each other and are talking now. And for me, that's the beautiful work of the spirit in very mysterious ways. And so I, I mourn kind of the community that's dwindling and people aren't spending time as much together face to face. And I'm also really thankful for the different, connections that I made with people who, like I said, don't live in the same part of the country um, that I do. I'm really grateful that we have ways to still support and be in dialogue with one another. I think it's really exciting. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. And I love that you, you know, kind of mentioned that it is a very spirit-led thing because I, I do believe that too. It's like, it's in a way that's just, you know, inexplainable, but it's almost meant to be. And so I, I love that. It's such a beautiful way of journeying in this new area of faith. Could I ask you one more question about life at all costs? And I know I didn't get the whole title, um, but do you have a vision for if how faith might play a role in that series? Like, I don't know if you've, if you want to include it or not, or, you know, showing people who might not look like the more conservative Christians um, who are opposed. I'm just wondering if you've thought about how faith communities or faith values or faith leaders might show up 
in the series? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's definitely something I think about a lot. Like what is the, the, um, the religious or faith thread throughout all these issues? And I'm, the, the short answer is yes, there, there is go- going to be a faith element to it whether it's just conservative or just, I, I don't, I mean, I should say that it's, it's not going to be just progressive or just conservative because that's the whole idea, you know, breaking down these binary labels that mm-hmm. just serve to keep us in separate camps. And I've already been speaking to a couple of faith leaders, um, just that I've come through since putting out the crowdfunding campaign. And there was a, a, a pastor in, in Dallas who I spoke to who who's on the clergy board of Planned Parenthood and just to hear his inside of the work that he's been doing I'm like wow this is so fantastic to see that you are of this faith community but you're in this space of reproductive um, healthcare and justice work as well so I I think what I want to do my my aim in including the faith community is to challenge where they're at and you know, the, the idea of separating each episode out into into different subjects, whether it's paid leave or birth control or foster care, I know foster care especially and adoption is is often a big topic of concern and care in especially evangelical communities. And so, for instance, if, they, if people in the evangelical church or in the community watch even this episode and say, oh, I didn't know how fraught with complexities and really awful um, things behind the scenes are going on in the foster care system, maybe we could be, um, you know, a bastion of hope. And let's start speaking out for that instead of just banging on about abortion. And so in a nutshell, like that's an example of what I hope will happen, you know, especially with specific types of faith communities that they will find an issue to latch onto and be like, this is somewhere where we actually can affect change. You know, why Mm -hmm. are up to 60% of child trafficking victims coming from the foster care system? We need to stand in the gap and let's do that. We claim we're we're pro-life. Let's put that into action, you know. And so I hope that faith communities can find a way. And that's, that's my aim with, you know, taking this series on a road tour and on a speaking tour, uh, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say speaking to her. I, I want to say like a dialogue to her is probably more accurate because I want to dialogue with these communities and and kind of spark new way, uh, inspirational ways of of having uh, having these communities change the reproductive rights and justice landscape in a way that is helpful to women that doesn't diminish anyone's dignity and and actually changes areas that they've perhaps overlooked or ignored. Mm-hmm. Well, we're really excited to continue to follow your journey. And I know our listeners are going to want to follow you too. So where can people find you online and how can they support you as you take on this new um, documentary series? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter at Asha Dyer. That's just at A-S-H-A-D-A-H-Y-A. I share a lot of links about reproductive health care. Um, you can also check out girltalkhq.com. There are some, a lot of the articles are about different women's issues. In terms of life at all costs, I, if you go to seedandspark.com and search life at all costs, it'll come up. It's the only one with that name. And if you, although the campaign is over, you can actually hit the blue follow link and you'll automatically be signed up to my email updates. And I've been, um, uh, we're growing a very big community, uh, a very engaged community, um, where I can kind of keep people up to date with what's happening and 
you know, where we're at in the in the pilot process, in the pitching process, in the production process. And so I would really um, encourage people to um, connect with me there and find out more about the series. The, the Seed and Spark campaign also explains more in detail what the series hopes to do and each of the topics and a few statistics and who I am as well. Um, and so those are the, the those are the best places to connect with me. Wonderful. And we will link to all of that in our show notes. You can go to kindredspodcast.com and search for episode 19 and we'll include links so you all can keep up with this great work. Thanks again for the conversation. But I'm really excited to talk with you about things that you're reading and listening to. This is a segment that we always do because we want to share some of the things that are giving us energy or exciting us. So what would you like to share with our listeners, something that they might enjoy? Yeah, so I I love podcasts. I think podcasts are great. Um, I love being on this podcast. I, I do love your podcast. It's really great to listen to. And one of the series that I find really informative and it's helped inform my ideas and perspectives and my work is a series called Choiceless and it's by Rewire News. Um, and the, the stories that they share very nuanced, very heartfelt, very diverse stories of women who've either chosen abortion or they've been in a situation where they've, you know, experienced loss or trauma, specifically relating to reproductive rights. There are religious women, there are conservative women who speak, and there are women who have chosen to give up babies for adoption and speak about their really uh, you know, like heartbreaking experience and how difficult it was. So I really would encourage people to check out. They've done about three seasons now so far. And um, the next season that they're going to do is about um, sex education and teen pregnancy prevention, which I think is something that we really need to talk about now that these, you know, the Trump administration is rolling back a lot of these funding programs. So I would really recommend people to check that out because it's just it just really opens your perspective to real people's lives and all of a sudden the abortion issue is not just this monolithic awful mm-hmm. scary confusing thing it's it's a human issue that's right and that's the choiceless podcast by rewire news i listened to the first season and i found it to be really really well done uh, and I think, mm. again, just as you were saying, you know, these are all abortion and reproductive decision making all occurs within the real context and circumstances of actual people's lives. And I think the public dialogue can not even dialogue, the public messaging points that we shoot back at one another uh, can help can really make it abstract. So I think anything that helps us remember and situates it within the complexities of real people's lives through storytelling um, is really a much needed thing. And I'm glad that you are, you are wanting to do that as well in the work that you're doing and just making this where we can't ignore the real people whose lives are impacted yeah. by these decisions. That's great. I want to recommend the podcast Pulpit Fiction, which is a weekly lectionary Ooh. podcast for pastors and preachers. So if you go to a church that uses a lectionary, you know, the lectionary is a way that we rotate through not all of the Bible, but a good portion of the Bible every three years. And my friend Reverend Rob McCoy is one of the co-hosts, along with Reverend Eric Fissler, and they dive into all of the weekly lectionary texts 
every week with commentary and insights for pastors who are trying to figure out what am I going to say this Sunday. It's a really great resource. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a bonus, I've actually been featured on there a few times. They do a segment called Voices in the Wilderness. So if you're interested in what I have to say about really obscure biblical passages, um, check out the show notes and I will I'll link to the one that I've been on before. But if you're not interested in the lectionary, if that's not your thing, which I get, they also host these great monthly conversations with musicians and writers and academics called the Thursday Night Special. And one episode you might want to check out is a conversation that they recently had with Jana Reese, and she's an author, an editor, and a columnist at the Religion News Service. And she just published a book earlier this year called The Prayer Wheel, a guide to a daily guide to renewing your faith with a rediscovered spiritual practice. So I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. And again, that's the Pulpit Fiction Podcast. Okay, so for our last segment, we always do a kindred of the moment. And Asha, I know that you have someone that you wanted to, an organization that you wanted to share with our listeners. Yeah, there were a couple and it was so hard to choose because there are some really great organizations doing amazing things. Um, And so I decided to actually lift up this amazing organization called Unchained at Last. They are based out of New Jersey. They are the only organization in the United States working to bring about laws to completely ban child and forced marriage. In case you didn't know, for uh, child marriage is actually legal in all 50 states in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that means people under age can get married if they have p- permission from either a judge or their parents. And it happens a lot in a number of different religious communities. However, because of this organization, which was started by a woman named Frady Reese, Recently did a TED Talk. Please check it out. She's incredible. She was actually forced to get married when she was 19. And so she survived that. Um, She came from a very conservative Jewish community and has a lot to say about this. She and her organization hold these flash mob events called chain-ins where they dress up like brides, chain themselves to each other and lobby outside state capitals and town halls and different community events. They successfully helped um, put pressure on Delaware legislators, legislators, sorry, and Delaware is now officially the first state in the United States to completely ban child marriage. Um, in and you know there is no other state that has done it yet, and I am hoping, and I know that this organization is hoping, it will lead to a knock-on effect because there is not a, not enough awareness about this issue. We think about child marriage is something that happens in the far off world Mm -hmm. in the underdeveloped countries but nope between 2000 and 2010 there were over uh, i think a quarter of a million child marriages in the united states um you can find an article that frady wrote on the new york times about that and so i think what they're doing is really incredible and definitely needs to be supported so please check out unchained at last they're a fantastic organization Thank you so much for sharing about their work. I had not heard, I knew about the the Delaware law, but I didn't know who the activists were who were behind it. So again, we will link to that in the show notes and thank them for their courage and willingness to, um, you know, to do something public, to bring attention to this and and raise people's awareness. And again, all of this is interconnected, right? This is all interconnected with reproductive rights and controlling women's bodies. Asha, it has been a pleasure to have you on Kindreds. Um, Thank you so much for your good work, and we look forward to following you. Thank you so much, Katie, for having me. This has just been a, a wonderful conversation.
Oh, well, I'm sure we'll talk again. So thank you for being on today and um, look forward to future conversations with you. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. listening you can find us on our website kindredspodcast.com that's kindreds with an s or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com you can also follow me katie on twitter at katie zay that's katie with an e-y-z-e-h please send us your thoughts ideas and questions we'd love to hear from you listening you can find us on our website kindredspodcast.com that's kindreds with an s or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com you can also follow me katie on twitter at katie zay that's katie with an e-y-z-e-h please send us your thoughts ideas and questions we'd love to hear from you You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you.